Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you're doing well. Two more weeks out of the year. (sighs) I hope that you are feeling well. I hope that you're going to have some time off over the next few weeks if you are celebrating, even if you're not, some time to disconnect and to spend time with your family. Today, I'm really excited to share this podcast with you. We are inviting Kelly Cybersma, who is also a registered psychotherapist qualifying on my team. Kelly was a godsend. She is so wonderful and I'm so excited to share her genius with you. So today in this episode, we wanted to talk about different types of therapy in the treatment of eating disorders. So this episode is going to be full of information. I think this is a really great resource if you are either like struggling with ED or an eating disorder or disordered eating Or um, possibly you're looking to work with a therapist and you want to understand maybe different ways of practicing. Um, And also Kelly's going to give tips on picking a therapist. Like what is the best way for you to pick your therapist to have a really good alliance with your therapist and get the most out of it. I think this episode, again, is full of really great information. And I hope that you're going to learn a ton from Kelly. All right, let's get to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy that you are here with us today. Today, I'm super, super excited because we get to have another team member on the podcast, which is super exciting. Um, so today we have Kelly, who's here, who's actually our new psychotherapist. So hello, Kelly. How are you? Hey, everyone. I'm doing well today, and I'm really excited to be here and get to speak with you all. Uh, I'm super excited to do. I don't know if you know by like my pitch and my tone right now. <laughs> I'm like, wait, do I sound like super intense right now? Probably. But I'm super glad that you're here. I'm happy that we're going to have this conversation today. We want to talk about different types of therapies and the treatment mm. of eating disorders. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty topic, like I'd love for you to tell our audience like who you are, who's Kelly, what's your origin story and what got you to do what you do today? Absolutely. So um, I'm Kelly. Um, I am actually, I'm from Canada, but I grew up in the Caribbean um, on a really small island. So that was an interesting part of my story and, and who I am and just some cultural pieces that I think are important to understand about, to understand about me as a person. Um, Growing up, I did struggle a lot with my mental health. Um, including with my relationship with food and my body. So I'm a practitioner who practices from a place of having lived experience. And I, I 
really feel that that is uh, where I draw a lot upon when I work with clients. Although I have all of the educational aspects and I am a registered psychotherapist in the qualifying category currently, um, I do work a lot from just my own personal experiences. Um, I came to do what I do because as a teenager, I was really interested in being in a, in a helping supportive profession. But to be honest, I never thought that I would be in a place where I was healthy enough to do that. So the other part of my life is that I'm also an athlete and a coach and I work with horses. Um, but a couple years ago, I sustained an injury that kind of changed that trajectory for me. And I was laying on the couch one day and just like, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, everything that I had really been focusing on and wanting was becoming more, more difficult for me to have and not the best choice for me at that time. So I got Googling and I found a program in psychotherapy and it fit all of the criteria I had in my head about if I was going to go back and pursue this, like, what would that look like? This is what it would need to look like. And I found a program that fit what I needed perfectly. And this was August and the program started in September. So I kind of every, the stars just aligned, um, like my friends, my family rallied behind me. The school happened to still have an opening. They accepted my application and, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how it started here we are today and here we are today and I love that so much um and even just like having that lived experience with struggling with food and body to be able to use that experience to support people and then also like kind of find your passion through this is super super mm -hmm. cool mm -hmm. I love that so, so much. All right, so today we wanna to talk a little bit more about different treatments in uh, eating disorder therapy. So mm -hmm. maybe we could talk just in general. I, like, I think like if we start like very macro, like the role of psychotherapy or a therapist in eating disorders, I think um, we've talked a lot about eating disorders on the podcast. And I think for people like knowing that there's maybe a dietitian on the team makes a lot of sense because you're like, oh, it has to do with food course we're going to have a dietitian but maybe you could talk maybe about the role of a psychotherapist and then kind of talking to those like different treatment um that is their different uh, therapy use as well absolutely so psychotherapists are an important part of the treatment team um, yeah. everyone's treatment team might look a little bit different absolutely including like a dietitian a psychiatrist sometimes a recovery coach the family doctor there's a lot of pieces um, it can even include like an occupational therapist that type of thing the role of the psychotherapist is to really help the client um, first and foremost with uh, like some stabilization. So of course, psychotherapists don't often come into place until we have physical stabilization and mm -hmm. medical aspects have been addressed. But after that, uh, working towards mental stabilization. So addressing if there is any um, like kind of more uh, higher risk thoughts that are happening, um, as well as to develop tools for navigating oftentimes like the beginning stages of refeeding and kind of just coping through the distress of that experience. Longer term, the role of a psychotherapist is to help really with addressing the original cause of the eating disorder. There is a genetic component. Um, however, oftentimes the eating disorder is developed as a protective coping mechanism and serves that really important purpose. However, over time, when the eating disorder becomes um, unchecked or develops in a way that's now maladaptive, it can become very harmful. And that's where we need to learn different strategies to cope. 
So even though the, the onset of an eating disorder is typically actually the brain's way of trying to do something that is really helpful and protective, it often doesn't stay that way for very long. So a psychotherapist can help you maybe in the beginning, even start building insight into what may have been the factors that led to this type of thinking and patterns and behaviors occurring, and then work to help um, change the trajectory and develop new, healthier ways of coping. Yeah, I love the way that you explain it at all. And when we do see like that eating disorders, like it's about the food, but it's not about the food. Like I'm like being used as a way of coping and that, okay, eventually like seeing like, okay, it became maladaptive, but it was there for a reason. So like exploring that, but then also supporting clients and like developing new ways of taking care of themselves too. Like, I think that's super, super cool. So let's talk about maybe different types of treatments in terms of ED recovery. Yeah. So the first thing I like to address is usually the actual treatment setup. So there's various ways that that can look like, um, there, depending on the, the factors at play. So obviously if there is any like medical care that's required, typically the best option is going to be inpatient care or hospitalization. Um, once that physical stability is achieved and as well as a psychological stability, if there are high risk factors, um, a step down from that would look like residential treatment, which is, uh, for, for folks who are medically stable, but still require 24 hour care. Um, a step down from that is your day treatment or your partial hospitalization program, which often looks like you may attend uh, a program or a hospital-based setting during your, your day hour. So breakfast to dinner, five days a week, and then going home at nights and for the weekends. And then where I work is an outpatient. So that is for folks who are stable enough to be recovering out in the real world, as well as a step down for folks who have had a higher level of care. Um, because typically we still need to learn how to recover and maintain recovery once we are back in the real world. Um, So that's where I work. So within the outpatient um, treatment, there are a lot of options for different types of therapy. I wanted to just make a quick note on um, the different therapies in terms of evidence-based versus evidence-suggested, because I think that's an important distinction and something to understand. So some of the treatments that we'll be talking about today and some of the therapies available are considered to be evidence-based. Other ones aren't yet, um, but they are evidence-suggested. So when a treatment is evidence-based, that means that it fits three criteria. So it's um, supported by the best available research. um, It's supported by clinical expertise and experience. And it also considers the patient's individual characteristics, values, and circumstances that will help inform care. Um, However, there are some limitations to evidence-based care, and that is largely around the limitations in our current research data. So a lot of times there's a lot of limitations in terms of the the scope and variety of people who are involved in the actual research tests, and the sample size is not very big and not very diverse. Um, Oftentimes it also will show inconsistent efficiency. um, And it can also dismiss the need for tailored approaches. So as we talk about things, I'll be starting with the therapies that are considered to be evidence-based, but we'll also talk a lot about the other options that are supported by data, but not yet um, considered to be fully like evidence-based gold standard. 
I love that. And I love that you make that distinction because even for me, I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't even know that there was those two categories. I'm like, yeah, really cool. Um, and I love that you point out also like the, the limits with things that are still evidence-based, although like great, like, I think it's so important to name, um, especially in eating disorder care, we see like, you know, there are a lot of stigma and like within the research and all of that, that really influences the way interventions are being done as well. So I think that's super neat. So awesome. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And I think an important distinction distinction is I'm like, I'm so excited to dive through and really break apart the various types of therapy and what they involve and what they include and what they're based off of. And at the end of the day, the best type of therapy is whatever one is the best for you, wherever you feel like you are getting the best results, where your treatment team also agrees with that. And, um, the, uh, an environment where you really feel safe and comfortable to move towards recovery. So all of this with a grain of salt. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like, um, inpatient gives us a lot of that flexibility like Mm -hmm. for us working inpatient like we can allow for a little bit more of that because there's less of those different structures in place um, yeah the point where they're at yeah it's 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 definitely an advantage of not being in a uh, more structured program that there is that flexibility and that's something we can talk about more when we talk about you know how you might choose a therapist is the level of structure that that will be the most supportive to you. Yeah, I love that. So to talk about the types of therapy, um, I'm going to start with cognitive behavioral therapy. That is an evidence considered to be evidence-based in general and also within the eating disorder community. Um, So cognitive behavioral therapy works off the assumption that thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are, are interconnected and that we can work to restructure them to support new healthier thoughts and actions. Um, Cognitive behavioral therapy is shown to be beneficial for all types of eating disorders. Um, It's transdiagnostic also among other um, diagnoses. And there's actually a a newer version of CBT available that is called CBT-E or enhanced cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been specifically created for the use with eating disorders. Um, This is a more structured type of approach to eating disorder treatment, where it would typically consist of a certain amount of sessions over a certain period of time. So often it would be 20 sessions over 20 weeks, or in the case where uh, weight restoration is required, often it would be 40 sessions over 40 weeks. Um, There are various stages. I'm not sure how much you want me to share about it. I'm happy to jump into the stages of this type of treatment. Yeah. So the first stage is um, gaining a mutual understanding of the client's eating problems and helping to stabilize the eating. Um, The focus is largely on education and addressing concerns about weight restoration, if that's something that needs to occur and starting to challenge some of those thoughts. In the second phase, it's a shorter phase um, and it's where progress is gonna be reviewed based on phase one. And we're going to start planning for phase three, which is where the majority of the work happens. In phase three, that's where we're focusing on um, the processes and the factors in the life of the client that are um, maintaining the eating disorder or the eating problem. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about weight, shape, eating, um, and working to enhance the client's ability to deal with daily triggers and moods, as well as beginning to address um, any like food rigidity and rules. The last phase of treatment is focused now towards the future. 
So assuming that recovery is well underway, let's learn how to maintain the changes that have been made and, and treatment plan and plan for release from treatment about how we're going to keep, keep on this path. So that's my summary for cognitive behavioral therapy and enhanced mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy. That, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, um, actually, I don't know listeners, um, if it's something that they hear a lot, I think like CBT is one of the, the, the therapy modalities that we hear the most about, mm -hmm. especially like as a dietitian, like we hear that all the time in terms of like yeah. psychotherapy with the youth psychology. Like we've hear this term many, many times, but I love your explanation and how it relates directly to people with eating disorders. Yeah. And, you know, within all of these therapies, some of the ones we'll be talking about are actually fairly structured when used in their purest form. Um, a lot of times though, people will take an integrative approach to therapy where we may include aspects of a type of therapy, but we're not actually following through with the, the purest form, um, which is something I personally like in a, in a lens that I work from is incorporating various aspects. Yeah. I find it allows for better, um, being better able to be client centered and take the strategies that work from various modalities, but not necessarily put all of the eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yeah. I love that so much. Like a, um, I don't know if it's a metaphor analogy. I don't think I know the difference between a metaphor analogy, <laughs> but something I've heard that really resonated with me in terms of eating disorder care. And I don't know if this resonates with you. Mm -hmm. It's almost like when you like the provider who helps someone with an eating disorder, it's like, we have all the pink colors and that's all the modalities, all the different. Yeah. And with our client, we like paint the image. So the image always looks different. Like what we're painting with her client looks different using those same colors, using different things that we can learn together and how that will look like. So I'm like, ah, it's so cool. When you think about like, you have all these tools, but being able to yeah, meet the client where they're at and paint that picture with them of what would work with them, knowing that you have that like, education to like support you, you know? Absolutely. I love that analogy. Um, it's, it's a similar to one that I use often, uh, which I actually was taught in the program that I took for my education to become a psychotherapist. And that was the idea of being dropped in a forest with your client and in the forest is dark. There's a lot of tree cover and we have a flashlight and we have been in many forests and found our way up before, whereas maybe the client hasn't. So our role as a psychotherapist is to walk through that forest. That's going to be a little bit different for every client holding that flashlight and kind of pointing out the different paths. So saying, oh, like I noticed, you know, we could go this way. This is what that way might look like. You know, here's another path over here. We could take this path and ultimately giving the client the control to navigate as long as they're navigating from their true self and not their eating disorder self. Um, and just supporting and showing them all of the options, the risks and benefits of each of the options, and also being willing to go down a path and then reassess and determine like, are we actually getting closer to the edge of the forest? Are we, or are we circling back around in a maze and do we need to go back and maybe take a different path? I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna start using that one too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. So another type of therapy is interpersonal therapy. This is also considered to be evidence-based. Um, and what the focus is on is interpersonal struggles. Um, so that an interpersonal struggle is a struggle between you and another person. So multiple people, um, and typically ones that are either caused by, um, actually caused or sustain the eating disorder, um, versus addressing the eating disorder head on itself. So the idea is that when we work with interpersonal therapy, there are likely 
challenges and ruptures in your current relationships based on you know, the eating disorder behaviors and how that can affect our lives. There are also probably challenges that led to the development of the eating disorder. And then there's also probably challenges that are contributing to it being still used and required as either a coping um, mechanism or even a communication mechanism. So in interpersonal therapy, uh, those are the things we're going to be talking about. It is particularly helpful for clients who are in um, transitional life, stage, life stages, and it has been especially shown to be effective for uh, eating disorders that have a binge aspect, so both bulimia as well as binge eating disorder. Um, in a really like purest form, treatment is typically going to be four to five months in length, and there are three phases to this type of treatment. So the first phase is um, just engaging within treatment, forming that therapeutic relationship and identifying the interpersonal problems that will be addressed. Uh, in the second phase is where we're going to dive in a little bit more into what those problems are, try to build some more insight and understanding and then work to actually make changes and address them. In the third stage, that's where we are going to make sure that in the second stage, we actually followed through made those changes and that we are uh, working to, again, address that risk of relapse and make sure that the changes are sustainable so that we can minimize that risk. Awesome. Uh, so next up, we're going to talk about one that's generally better for, or not even better, but used for children, young adults, uh, people who are still living at home with a family around them. And that is family-based treatment it's also an evidence-based model. There are also some, um, there has been some instances now where it is being used also among adults, as long as they still have that supportive family environment, uh, but it's considered to be um, like one of the best practices for children, young adults living at home who have had their eating disorder for uh, less than three years. I'm not entirely sure why there's that distinction, but that is what the current best research is showing us. The goal of family-based uh, treatment is to empower the parents of children or, or teens to take responsibility for managing the eating disorder symptoms with the goal of restoring the health of their child. Um, it will typically include uh, session, weekly sessions that involve the whole family. So parents are present as well as siblings or if there's any other like important active family members. Uh, it has been shown particularly to be effective with boys in an with anorexia. However, it is also used for like females or um, non-binary folks with anorexia as well as bulimia and um, OSFED, so otherwise specified feeding and eating disorder. Um, this is one that also has three phases. So the first phase is um, where the parents are supported to reestablish the normal eating pattern. So parents take back full control of food um, generally, it's trusted that the parents understand and know how to feed their child. However, assistance of a dietitian may also be, be offered as another support piece. Um, the parents are going to ensure that there's adequate nourishment and work to interrupt the problematic behaviors. In the second phase, based on the age of the child or teen, in an appropriate way based on that age, the control of eating is going to be slowly handed back over to the child. So maybe some choices will be reintroduced, maybe some actual involvement in the preparation of food. And then on the third phase, that's where now treatment is gonna to shift to focus more on the underlying issues that uh, 
that may have contributed to the development of the eating disorder, as well as help the child to establish a new identity outside of the eating disorder that is in line with their values for life. Um, one thing that I think is really important about this treatment model that is really used very much in all of them, but outlined more clearly in this one, is the need that um, eating disorders like aren't about food, but we can't actually necessarily address the other issues until we address the nourishment. Because if we are not getting adequate nutrition, our brain isn't in a place to be doing that deeper work. And also we may be increasing our risk. So I find in this one, it really outlines like this is what has to happen first. Um, then we can go deeper and look at more of the emotional um, underlying issues. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like, it's not about food, but also we can't recover without it. Like it yeah. really big part, if not the biggest of that recovery piece of making sure we are re-nourished. And I think mm -hmm. with kids too, there's like that added piece of like, depending where they're at in their growth too, like the long-term implications yeah if we are malnourished for a long period of time absolutely a hundred percent a hundred percent there has actually also been a kind of add-on from family-based treatment which is called EFFT or emotionally focused family therapy uh, which uses a similar model but also involves a bit more um, focus around emotions. So helping the parent or caregiver to help the child with identifying and processing their emotions as they come up through eating disorder recovery, which allows the young person to feel a little bit more, excuse me, <clears throat> it allows the young person to feel a bit more compassion and understanding from their parent, uh, which can be important for, for that nourishment. Um, it also involves the parent or caregiver learning to recognize when their own actions are possibly being controlled by the eating disorder um, and assist everyone in making new healthier choices. Mm, I love that. And I love that approach too, because although the eating disorder impacts the person who has the eating disorder, um, obviously, but it also impacts the whole family unit. So having a therapy Absolutely. that involves like everybody there to provide that support, I think is so, so important. Absolutely. Uh, and that, I think that is why it's considered for youth to be one of like the gold standard approaches because eating disorders exist within systems. So they exist mm -hmm. within our family system. They exist within our societal system. There's all of these layers of how we will interact with those systems based on um, our lived experience. And this type of treatment kind of head-on addresses arguably the most important system, especially when we're young. That is where we are, we're spending our time. Mm -hmm. Hey, 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 I'm just stopping this episode. I hope you're learning so much on therapy. Man, there's so much to learn. <laughs> but I hope you're really enjoying it. But I wanted to stop to tell you about the free class that I have. This is a class where you're going to learn how you can heal your relationship with food in your body. We are ending 2021 and I want 2022 to be different for you. If you are someone has been struggling with diets, restrict restriction, plans, losing control around food, not trusting yourself around food, maybe feeling really uncomfortable in your body, wanting to hide your body, 
if that sounds like you, this class is for you. Here in the class, we're gonna talk about all the different ways and the steps to really find healing, to really start letting go of rules, diets, to find a space where you can just live and be, but also work on being healthy and work on all the goals that you have, but from a place of um, connection over a place of shame. So if you're interested, if you want your 2022 to be different, this is the time. I cannot wait to connect with you. So you can go to www.thebalancepractice.com forward slash sign up to sign up for the class, pick the right time for you. We will connect there and I cannot wait. The link will also be in show notes. All right, back to the show. So the next one is similar to the one above in the name. So the one above is EFFT. The next one was ju is just EFT, which is emotion-focused therapy. So in EFT, individuals learn how to manage their maladaptive emotions as opposed to trying to control them using eating disorder behaviors. So the premise of this type of treatment is that uh, what a person eats or doesn't eat, as well as the behaviors around that, uh, may develop as a way of controlling emotions or as an outlet for those emotions. This is one of the treatments that is currently just evidence-suggested versus evidence-based. And the goal of this treatment is to assist clients in learning to process unpleasant emotions while learning to tolerate and regulate them without needing to engage in eating disorder behaviors. And you'll notice that I use the word to process unpleasant emotions versus negative emotions. Um, I am a big believer that our emotions aren't positive or negative and that they're all important and are, they're all communicating something to us. Some are just a little bit more difficult to feel than others. I love that. I love that. I like to see that way too, um, that they all have a purpose. It's all data mm -hmm. <laughs> we're able to have to understand ourselves better and how we, yeah, just live through, through life. Absolutely. So the next one is one that is also largely usually heard of and um, understood, and that is dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT. Uh, DBT is currently still in the stage of being evidence suggested in the treatment of eating disorders. Um, it is like largely approved and researched for other types of diagnoses, particularly borderline personality disorder, but we've been seeing more and more um, efficacy for both uh, bulimia and binge eating disorders. So again, those uh, eating disorders that have that binge component to them. Um, mm -hmm. However, it can also be used with anorexia and other eating disorders. DBT is based on the assumption that self-destructive behaviors are caused by the inability to manage and regulate intense, intense emotions. Um, it is a combination of cognitive behavioral techniques with acceptance therapies. So it draws, it does draw on aspects of CBT. Uh, the focus is on that emotional regulation to help address the underlying function of the eating disorder. So I don't know if you're noticing a bit of a theme, but uh, most of these therapies are actually addressing what might be underneath the eating disorder and whatever might have been the reason for the, the protective development of that. DBT functions using uh, four pillars. So the first pillars are acceptance-based. 
and that is the development of mindfulness and distress tolerance. So mindfulness is being aware of the present moment without the present moment without judgment, and distress tolerance is about manage, being able to manage a crisis without worsening the situation, as well as accepting the reality as it is. Both of those pieces are really important in um, eating disorder recovery and often reflect a lot of um, areas where a person with an eating disorder might need further emotional development. The next two pillars focus on the actual change. So emotional regulation is understanding and reducing our vulnerability to emotions and interpersonal effectiveness skills. So interpersonal effectiveness is about learning how to get our needs met, maintaining relationships and increasing our self-respect within relationships. DBT is another one where there is a very um, like purest form. Like if you were to truly engage in dialectical behavioral therapy, that is going to be a whole program that is going to involve things like um, coaching, individual therapy and group therapy, as well as like skill, um, skill sessions. However, it's another one where oftentimes we will integrate aspects of DBT into um, a more inter uh, integrative type approach. Next up, we'll talk a little bit about accept acceptance and commitment therapy, so ACT. And ACT is also evidence suggested for eating disorders. It is uh, designed to increase the psychological flexibility of a client. So a lot of times clients with eating disorders, particularly anorexia, will struggle with uh, psychological rigidity. So psychological flexibility is defined by being able to contact the present moment fully as a conscious human being. And based on what the situation affords, changing or persisting in behavior in the service of chosen values. ACT uses acceptance and mindfulness strategies paired with commitment and behavior change strategies. It works particularly well or is showing so far to work particularly well with clients with anorexia because of that psychological rigidity component. Um, next up is one that is one of my personal interests and that is IFS or internal family systems. It's evidence suggested it was specifically designed for the use with eating disorders. And it focuses on the idea that uh, within our mind, there is like an inner world that is a system and it functions with various parts, AKA subpersonalities that each have a role to play. What I really like about this modality is that it helps clients to separate their eating disorder uh, kind of brain from their true self brain um, and can help clients in first separating the identity and then learning to challenge those, those thoughts that maybe aren't their actual true authentic thoughts and then being able to eventually disobey those thoughts. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? We have a couple We're doing of awesome. more, I'm just like to go. all in. <laughs> yeah. So I think those are all like so cool. And it's cool to go through like all of these different ways that we get to support. Like it's so cool to know that we have like all of these tools at hand. This last one that you named, like it really makes me think of this piece of like personalizing the ED to be able to kind of like create that space. It also makes me think of the movie like Inside Out, like when we can see like <laughs> all yeah. these little people in our head, we're like, oh, okay, like here are all of the things. Yeah. Um, I think like that could be really, really cool. Um, it's a great thing that we do um, in terms of treatment. Absolutely. I'm partial to IFS, um, even though I'm not specifically trying... Uh, trained in like the strict use of IFS, I draw upon the parts work a lot in my work. 
Um, and that was because for me personally, in my journey towards recovery, I feel the time that I started to actually make progress towards recovery was when I read the book by Jenny Schaefer, which is Life Without Ed. And in that book, it was introducing the idea of considering the eating disorder to be a part separate from self. And that really opened and changed my world. And so that I think is probably why I base a lot of my work off of parts work that and combined with the particular schooling that I received, we focused a lot on the idea of subpersonalities and the function and role of the various parts of ourselves. Yeah. And I don't know, um, you could speak better to that than I can. I feel like doing that too also takes away a lot of the shame that we may have for having an eating disorder when we're like, it's not like me, especially if the eating disorder has maybe more aggressive tendencies or mm-hmm. is just, um, yeah, like just really, really hard. I know for me, like when I learned about that going through recovery, I was just like, wait, it's not me. Like, like, you know, like it's me, but it's not me. I'm like, I have this eating disorder that's there. And then there's me, like, there's, there's still part of me that's still here. And it helped reduce a lot of the shame for like having all these behaviors that it was like, okay, like I can start separating. Absolutely. I think it's huge for shame reduction Mm -hmm. and understanding, um, why we might be acting in ways that are not aligned with our true values. Right. I also think it's incredibly important for the ongoing maintenance and relapse prevention. Speaking again to my personal experience and and the experience I hear about from a lot of clients is this identity, this eating disorder identity, especially if you're a person who has struggled with an eating disorder for a length of time, it really becomes that it feels like it's all encompassing. And in many ways it is all encompassing. And that's where I think it is so important that we work to start separating and reestablishing who we really are and reconnecting to that. Because as eating disorder behaviors fade and start to take less and less time in our life, time like thinking, engaging, um, all of those pieces, it leaves us with a bit of a gap. And if we do not fill that gap, it will be refilled for us. So it's incredibly important within eating disorder recovery that as we reduce the use of the eating disorder in our lives, we fill it with what we want our life to be. Because if we leave it empty, we still have kind of this like hole within us. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Is there any other therapies that you wanted to share with us? There are, there are two that I'm happy to share quickly. Um, so there is MBI, which is mindfulness, mindfulness based interventions, also evidence suggested it is, um, effective for binge eating disorder and is used often as a complementary treatment for other types of eating disorders. It is working to support clients in reconnecting to their body's signals of hunger and fullness, as well as reduce the amount of a judgment experienced during times of eating. Um, It is basically focused on the use of meditations, body scans, and mindfulness exercises to increase uh, a focused, purposeful awareness of the present moment and to relate to one's experience in a non-judgmental manner, which can be about other areas of our life, as well as about food. Um, And then lastly, I'll talk to you just a little bit about compassion-focused therapy, or CFT for short. So CFT was developed to target self-criticism and shame. 
Clients are taught to view themselves and others through a compassionate lens, including their bodies and their body's needs. Um, it's based on the premise of three systems within the brain. So the brain has the drive system, the threat system, and the soothe system. This is another one that has been adapted for the use with eating disorders, um, CFT-E, or compassion-focused therapy for eating disorders. And it's transdiagnostic across eating disorders, so used among any eating disorder, disordered eating um, diagnostic. It works to address the shame, the uh, pride, self-directed hostility, and self-criticism, all of which are factors in the maintenance of an eating disorder. So again, it's another really great one um, that can work to target a lot of what is already inherently involved in an eating disorder, specifically addressing that shame and trying to replace it with, with self-compassion. I love that so much. And I'd love for, for maybe you to tell us like, what would be your approach? Like you being someone who works with people with eating disorders, um, having access to all of this, like what is your preferred approach or, and I know this will depend client to client, Absolutely. Um, but how, how do you navigate that? Absolutely. So uh, my approach, I am not a purist by, by nature. I love to use an integrative and eclectic approach, which means I incorporate aspects of various of the types of therapy and modalities to best meet the needs and preferences of my clients and to work towards their goals. So I will typically get a sense within an intake of um, how this person might best be supportive. And I'll typically offer various options of things we could try. And then from there, it's, it's largely based on communication and trial and error and seeing which approach really truly does support the client and monitoring how that changes throughout the process of recovery. I think it's really important to note that there are certain ways that I work that aren't necessarily therapeutic modalities, but are more the, the lenses and the frameworks that I work from. And those I think are something that is really important to address. So the first one is that I work from a trauma-informed lens, yes. which means um, I offer trauma-informed care. And this is a framework for human service delivery that is based on the knowledge and understanding of how trauma affects people's lives. Um, it's based on six principles. And I think these six principles really um, outline what I try to do within, within my work with clients. And that is to offer safety, to offer trustworthiness and transparency, um, to engage in peer support, to offer collaboration and mutuality, empowerment and choice, and to be informed on cultural, historical, and gender issues, because those are all systems of trauma and oppression that we need to address. Especially myself, I am someone who lives in a straight-sized body. I am a cisgender person. I am a white person. So there is a lot of aspects of my life where I have a lot of privilege. And that is really important to acknowledge when working with things with, with clients in general, but especially within eating disorders where there is a lot of, um, of oppression involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And huge intersections between yeah. communities and eat, the development of eating disorders. Absolutely. Um, the other, the other primary framework that I work from is that of an anti-diet and a health at every size. Yes. <laughs> so for me, this is a must in eating disorder care. There is still eating disorder treatment available that does not work. 
um, from this framework. And I, my personal goal in life is to see that eliminated. Um, for me, I think I shared a little bit about how the parts work was the catalyst of me being able to engage in recovery. Um, as was actually trauma-informed care and, and accessing a treatment team that was uh, really allowed me to take control back and stop, uh, re stop reliving trauma narratives around control. Um, after that, I was able to obtain a decent type of recovery um, where I was functional in my life. Life was okay, but I was not at all fully recovered and still was impacted years later in, a, in many ways. And I think that is because when I returned from um, higher levels of care to outpatient care, I did not have access to an actual specific eating disorder uh, team in the smaller community that I live in. And my outpatient care and therapy actually caused a lot of harm in terms of the subconscious, like fat phobia. It wasn't always um, overt. A lot of times it was more of a covert thing, but I still internalized it. And it really limited me in my ability to really find freedom from my eating disorder. So I have that personal bias now where if it's not healthy at every size, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. And it's honestly, like you say, like it's harmful. It's really, really harmful when you have providers who maybe have not done their work, like they are not inclusive. Mm -hmm. They're still very much fat phobic. Um, and we've talked a little bit about this, like before we press record that like, I think in dietetics, like we start hearing a lot about anti-diet dietitians and dietitians who talk about food freedom and body acceptance and all of these things like are themes that we hear a lot with dietitians, but not as much with psychotherapists. Like I personally don't know a lot of psychotherapists who take this stand. So when you meet one, you're like, fuck yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's true. And it's so like, you may think, you know, like when we think of therapy, you're like, oh yeah, but we're not like directly necessarily talking about all the food pieces, but it matters. Like the way, even if you say like, it's not directly being like, don't do that, but just the way that it is perceived, especially when you have an eating disorder, like we are so um, like at risk of these things. Like I remember my therapist when I was recovering told me like, but don't worry. I will not let you get fat. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. In that time, you know, it was very catering to my ED. Like my ED felt reassured. Right. So it's like a weird uh -huh. thing. I'm like, okay, yes. Like fat, I won't get fat. Like this is good. But as you know, pr things were progressing and my body's was changing. Like it just created a lot more shame. Like I was also failing that therapist. Cause you know, mm -hmm. like I, I was changing, so it is so, so harmful, so harmful when comments like that are being made. I think we could probably make a whole other podcast episode of harmful <laughs> things that <laughs> treatment team members who weren't truly eating disorder informed um, have said or done or implied. Um, and, you know, I will say even within my, my training program to become a psychotherapist, it was laced with a lot of toxic ideals. I actually, at one point with another, um, uh, she became a friend that I was attending school with. We wrote a letter and suggested a change of curriculum and we like fought for it and we got it because I was like, some of these practitioners are going to go out and possibly treat eating disorders. And this can't be how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like weight centric cares. I feel like impacts all professions mm -hmm. and like for me in my head I was like when I saw my therapist I'm like oh we won't like 
like this won't happen because like I was scared of seeing a dietitian because I'm like those are the food police like that's gonna be yeah. stuff I'm like with my therapy it's gonna be fine but no <laughs> no yeah, no, so yeah. and I think I actually in preparation for talking to you today I was on the ASDA website the ASDA is um, the association for size diversity and health um, I am a member with them and I was just doing some more reading and they actually I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to have a haze approach. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to read out just a short blurb they had on their website that I think encompasses it really well. Yes. So um, the health at every size approach is a continuously evolving alternative to the weight centered approach to treating clients of all sizes. It is also a movement working to promote size acceptance, to end weight discrimination and to lessen cultural obsession with weight loss and thinness. So I thought that kind of encapsulated uh, how I try to show up for my clients, but also in my life in general. Yeah, I love that so, so much. Mm-hmm. Any other approaches that you want to share? Um, no, but I would love to just give my recommendations for selecting a therapist. Yes, that would be awesome. So, how, so- yeah, because I mean, that can be really difficult, like looking at all the different therapists out there. Like how, how do you know? Yeah. So as much as I've shared today, um, I think that information, I consider it more to just be fun and informative. What I actually want you to do is take everything that I told you and like throw it out the window. Because most clients don't need to pick a specific type of treatment unless you are someone who has been through several treatments and it it hasn't worked where you might want to maybe look at um, choosing something specifically different. Uh, what I actually like to tell people and what I think is most important to know is that more and more the general research is pointing towards not a specific therapy treatment as being the most effective, but actually the therapeutic alliance as being the most important factor in predicting a successful outcome of treatment. Basically, this means that the relationship between therapist and client is the number one predictor of whether your treatment is going to be successful or not. So. For me, this means that you need to pick a therapist that you're comfortable with. A red flag is if a therapist wants you to sign on and won't offer any type of consultation. So for me, if the therapist won't offer a consultation, I wouldn't pick them personally because an intake session is you're going to be sharing a lot of information. It's also going to have a financial cost. So if you're not able to sit down, even for a couple of minutes, like often consults are 10, 15 minutes face-to-face just to make sure you feel okay in the presence of that person, then you don't know if it's worth the investment. Um, Additionally to that is if you are seeking care for an eating disorder, disordered eating, or any other food or body problems, challenges, you really do want to see someone who is informed about eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And this means you need to ask questions because, um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the websites where you might go to find a therapist, like even psychology today, for example, a lot of people just click what they treat and they just click it all. And maybe they've seen one client with an eating disorder. So they've treated it. They've clicked it. That doesn't mean that they're actually all that informed. So it can be really important to ask more questions about what that looks like, as well as what frameworks they work from. So again, I think I was clear about this before, but if they're not anti-diet and health at every size, um, working from those frameworks, as well as I would say from a trauma informed framework, because there's a lot, again, that we spoke about like trauma, oppression, integrated within eating disorder work, then I would not personally recommend that person. 
Mm-hmm. Those would be my three pieces of, of advice. Um, the importance of a free consult, make sure it's really a good fit for you, ensuring that they're truly eating disorder informed, and then ensuring that they're working from frameworks that are aligned with what you are looking for. I love that so much. I love that so much. And I feel like that's very much like you get to decide, <laughs> which is cool too, right? And like, you're allowed to say if it doesn't fit, like that's totally, totally okay too. Like, again, that is such an important part. And it's the same thing with dietitians, like, especially with eating disorder, because it's such a vulnerable space to be. So having a treatment team that you trust, that you get along with, like, are yeah. And I think that that is almost like a bonus consideration that I recommend when selecting a therapist is whether they do work it within a circle of care. So like at the balance practice, we work within a circle of care, meaning we will collaborate within a team and we will also help you establish a team if that's something you need to help with, because eating disorders often require multiple professionals working with you on multiple different things to really um, offer you a good recovery outcome. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right. So thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy that we connected. I'm so pumped that we've, we have this episode with, I think was super helpful, loaded with information. So I think people will get a lot from it and tell us where can people find you? Like if they want to work with you, if they want to have a free consult with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to offer free consults, uh, to any, anyone within Ontario or Canada, because otherwise I just can't work with you, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, you can find me on the balance practice website. You can also email me directly at Kelly at the And that's Kelly with an I E. So K E L L I E at the Yay. Awesome. We are so pumped to have Kelly on the team. You're so, so wonderful. All right. So let's like flash our last yeah. questions. <laughs> Absolutely. So these are fun questions for the end of the show. The first one being, what is your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food changes a lot, but I, my like go-to right now is the sushi, veggie sushi. Mm-hmm. Gotta have avocado, highly recommend an avocado Oshinko roll. Try it. You'll love it. I love that so much. It's my favorite too, or it's definitely my so top. Good. Spaghetti is yeah. also there. I love spaghetti. Ooh, spaghetti. I like tacos also. <laughs> Ooh, all of the foods. Um, all right. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? A superpower. So this is not a traditional one, but I would really love to understand people's full intention so that when someone does something shitty, I could actually understand, did they mean it or not? It's such a therapist answer. I know, but I just want to truly understand the intention people like, have. What is the actions. Yeah. Are you a good person that did something bad or are you just a shit person? I need to know. Exactly. <laughs> it's what it's one of those things that keeps me up at night just trying to understand why people maybe have done things that I don't agree with (laughs) I love that so much all right next question what is your favorite way to self-care oh so favorite way to self-care is actually um I'm a bit of a a nerd I love Catan so at the end of a work day I like Mm -hmm. to have a bath eat my dinner in the bath which I know is weird but play Catan on my iPad while I do all of those things and maybe I have like Taylor Swift playing in the background so lots of mindfulness involved (laughs) (laughs) absolutely I love that okay and then last question for you because we work at the balance practice this is a balance dietitian podcast what does balance mean to you 
balance means to me, uh, I'd say that's evolving right now. What it means to me is balancing all of the various aspects of myself. So one of the things coming out of my own personal eating disorder recovery was again, finding who I am outside of that. And I think along the way I've, I've still typecast myself into, Oh, well, like I am a spouse. I am a, a horseback rider. I am this, I am that. And for me, balance is now learning to integrate all of the parts of who I am in a way that truly honors and supports me. I love that. That's such a perfect answer. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Um, You're such a wonderful human and I'm just happy you connected. I am so glad that we were able to do this and I have just loved being a part of this team. So thank you for having me. Wasn't Kelly just amazing? I am so pumped to have her on our team. So much knowledge around eating disorder recovery. And I really believe like having lived experience is such a supportive part as a healthcare provider, right? To support our clients. If you want to work with Kelly, if you've listened to this and you're like, yes, like I want to, I want to connect with her or maybe to connect with another psychotherapist on her team. You can do that by emailing us at info at the balance practice. Um, and we would be really happy to connect with you to see if it's the right fit on that note, my friend, I hope you have a wonderful day.